You know, there's a vast difference in people. Uh, one lady told me this morning, she said, I knew you was going to be a speaking, but I came to church anyway. And another lady came all about 45 or 50 miles just to hear me speak. And that's certainly a compliment to me, and I hope she's not too terribly disappointed, you know, when, when it's all said and done. But in 1 Peter 3.15, you know, it says that we're to sanctify the Lord God in our heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. That's the reason for the hope it is in us with meekness and with fear. And certainly I think when we are called on to do our part in the Lord's work, that we certainly ought to make the effort, you know. And that's what we're judged on, not on the quality of of the presentation. But in Psalms 33 and verse 12, he says, Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord and the people that he has chosen for his own inheritance. Now, you know, a lot of folks, the Lord is not their God. Sometimes their money or their possessions or property or prestige, power, all of these things can be made a God if we think more of them than we do the Lord himself and the gospel. And you know, in this country that we live in today, I don't know exactly how many nations there is represented in the world, but there's several nations that make up this world. And of course, in Genesis, he tells us that in the beginning, the first five words, God created the heavens and the earth. And that does away, as far as I'm concerned, with the evolution theory, that God created all things, you know, and we're created in his image. But I want us to look this morning at... Uh, uh, some things about what is your nationality. And I've got 14 nations that I'm going to talk about. And you say, well, that's enough material for a gospel meeting. And it is if you had a gospel preacher. But <laughs> you can feel free to write these down and to write the scripture down too if you want to. It uh, won't bother me one bit. But you know in Romans 1 and 3, you know, uh, 1 through 3, Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, I bear your record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they going, uh, going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And there's the key to it. We have to submit our will to God's will, not try to make his way our way. In Isaiah, you know, he says that God's ways are not as our ways, is that, and God's thoughts is our thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than yours, so are God's ways than our, the higher than our ways and his thoughts and our thoughts. And certainly we're not on the plane, nowhere near on the plane with him. But as Brother Jason read for us, in Acts the 10th chapter, verse 34 and 35, he, it says that Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, here's the secret, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness, is accepted with him. Isn't that plain and simple? He that feareth God and worketh righteous is accepted with him. In uh, uh, verse, uh, in First Peter rather, two and verse nine, Peter here sums it all up. He says, "You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of Him that called you out of darkness." into his marvelous light. So you might say, well, that's not a compliment to be a peculiar people, but it is. It's a, quite a compliment. Uh, 
as uh, uh, Brother Jeff mentions in his prayer, that, you know, we're to be different and the people are to be able to see that difference in us. If they don't see any difference in us in the world, then perhaps we, you know, we might not be in a right relationship with God. We need to look, uh, examine ourselves. A royal nation, a holy priest, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And then in Matthew 21, verse 43, he says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation that bringeth forth the fruits uh, thereof. So what are, you might ask yourself the question then, what are these nations? We're going to mention about seven negative nations and about seven positive nations. So we'll take the bad first. The first nation we want to look at is condemnation. Condemnation. We're not to be condemned of ourselves. In Romans 14.22, he says, Hast thou faith? Have it before God, to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he allows. What he's saying is we're not to condemn ourselves by the life that we live. You know, live in such a manner it will condemn us or separate us from the love of God. And then we're, we're not, not only that, but uh, we're not to be condemned by God himself. In Mark 16, 16, you know, familiar verse to all of you, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. You know, there's a story there about these two preachers was talking you know, one of them was a gospel preacher and one was a, a denominational preacher. And uh, they were discussing baptism, you know, and the gospel preacher asked him, said, well, what does Mark 16, 16, what is it saying? He said, well, there's a heap of mystery in the Bible. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's pretty plain, looks to me like. There's nothing taught in the scriptures more plainer than baptism, water baptism, if there's anything taught. But we're not to be condemned of ourselves. We're not to be condemned by the word, by, by God Almighty. And we're not to be condemned by our words that we speak. Matthew 12, verse 36. He says, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account of in the day of judgment. And certainly that's a sobering thought, isn't it, that we're going to have to give an account of those things. Number two, the second nation, hallucination. You say, well, what's a hallucination? Hallucinating means that you see things that's which are really not there, you know. And we, we, we don't want to be guilty of hallucinating from not loving the truth. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12, he says, With all deceivableness of righteousness, to them that perish because they love not the truth, that they might be saved. And we know that the truth will save us. John 8.32 says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's free from the law of sin and death. Free from sin and into the glorious light of the gospel of our Lord and Savior. Verse 11 in that same Second Thessalonians 2nd second chapter says and for this cause some shall send, God shall send some strong delusions. There is that hallucination see that they may believe a, die, a lie rather and verse 12 said that they all might be damned that have pleasure in these things, see, in unrighteousness. So condemnation, hallucination, discrimination. What is discrimination? Discriminating is to prefer one over another. Now we have many kinds of discrimination in our in the world today, don't we? Oh, you could name a bunch of them. We have age discrimination, we have job discrimination, we have sexual discrimination, we have uh 
the blacks accusing the whites of discriminating against them. We have the the poor accusing the rich of uh, discriminating against them. And certainly, these things do go on, as you well know sometimes. But we're not to discriminate. In James, uh, the second chapter, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, he says it. If a man come into your, into your assembly with a gold ring and with goodly apparel, and another man, a poor man comes in with vile raiment, and you say, say unto the man that's wearing the gay clothing, you sit here in a special place. And you say unto the poor man in the vile raiment, you sit here under my footstool. Then our, what are we doing there? We're discriminating against that person, aren't we? And certainly in James then, the second chapter, verse 9, he says, If you have respect to persons, you commit sin. That's just that plain. You commit sin and are convinced of the law of transgression. So, friends, he's just saying that if we, if we have respect of race, creed, or color, or any other thing, one person over another, we're committing sin. It's just that plain. Then number four, procrastination is the next nation that we want to look at. To procrastinate, it's a detestable thing. You know, I mean, you know, God doesn't, he doesn't like procrastination at all. And uh, it's a dangerous thing. And you might say, well, what is procrastination? Procrastination has been referred to as the theft of time. It's stealing time. It's putting things off. You've heard people say, well, don't ever do today what you can put off till tomorrow. <laughs> but that's the wrong way. That's procrastination. Uh, knowing to do something and do with it, doing it not is it's sin, James says. But uh, uh, in Acts, the 24th chapter, verse 25, here we have the story about Paul preaching to Felix. And it says he, reason, he reasoned of him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And Felix trembled. He said, go thy way. Go thy way this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. But we have no record that he ever called for Paul to know what the gospel said, you know. That's procrastination. And we don't want to put off anything that would cause us to lose our soul. Number five, abomination. Abomination. Abomination means a detestable thing. Something that is just not good in God's sight. You remember in Revelation where it was talking about the seven churches of Asia, but second chapter and third chapter, that the church at Laodicea was lukewarm. And he said, because you are neither cold nor hot, but you are lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. It was They were detestable in, in God's sight. They were abomination in his sight. And he said, I would that you would be either cold or hot, you know. But we don't want to be abomination because we don't, it will reject us. In Luke 16, 15, he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourself before men. But he said, God knows your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You know, man don't think like God, as we already pointed out from uh, in the old Bible. That which is highly esteemed of men is an abomination in the sight of God. And then in Titus 1, verse 16, he says they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable. Deny him by being abominable and disobedient unto every good work 
reprobates. Boy, that's a bad condition to be in, isn't it? Abominable and disobedient unto God, a reprobate. In Revelation 21, 27, here the writer John says, There shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth. He's talking about heaven, you know. Anything that defileth neither worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the ones that's going to enter into that heavenly abode. The ones that are, are written in the Lamb's book of life. It talks about the books were opened in Revelation and another book was opened, the Lamb's book of life. Then number six is hibernation. Now we like this and don't we? Hibernation. You know, when we think of hibernation, we think of a big black bear. He goes out here and he eats all summer and all fall and then he crawls into a cave and he sleeps the winter away. Certainly that's a form of hibernation. But in uh, hibernation means to sleep. In 1 Corinthians 15.34, he says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of our God. And he said, I speak this to your shame. What are you saying, Paul? He's saying if you don't have a knowledge of God, it's a shame. That's what he's saying. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, you know, he says all Scripture is given by inspiration to God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Friends, we need a knowledge of that word. We can never learn too much of it. But we need to get out of hibernation. We, we need to wake at sleep. In Ephesians 5 and verse 4, 14, he says, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. He's not talking about physically coming back to life here. He's talking about arising from being dead in sin, is what he's saying here. Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and God will give you light. The word we'll see later on will give us light. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, he says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch. What does that mean? It means to be on the alert, not to be asleep. What does it mean to be sober? It means to be sensible-minded, doesn't it? To think on these things, whatsoever things are pure, honest, just, true, true and lovely, Think on these things the scripture says, you know. So, let's not be guilty of hibernation. Number seven. Imagination <laughs> is the next nation. In Genesis 6 and 5, it talks about the, the family of man was all over imagination was good and evil. He says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil, continually. And it repented God that he made man. He was sorry that he made him. He said, I'll destroy him off from off the face of the earth. And certainly he did by water, as we well know, in the days of Noah. In Romans 1.21, Paul here says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There was the vein in our imagination. Then we need to cast that down. We need to get rid of that, don't we? Second Corinthians 10 and verse 5, he says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, 
and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's what we need to do. Bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. Also, let's see, number eight. Number eight. Elimination. Now this is a good, this is where we start the positive nations. You might say, well how in the world can elimination be a positive point? To eliminate something means to do away with it, don't you? But there are certain things we need to eliminate in our lives. He says, having your conversation in 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that wherein they, whereas they speak against you as an evildoer, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We need to eliminate our lives of all wrong, if we possibly can. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And certainly that's true. All men are sin, sinners. But we don't have to remain in it. We need to eliminate all wrong in our lives. James 1 and 21 he says, Wherefore laying aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. In Second Corinthians, what's going to save your soul? The word of God. We're called by the gospel, aren't we? That's true. We can prove that by the scriptures. Then he says in Second uh, uh, Corinthians 7, in verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. Perfection here means to complete, complete, to be completely holy in the side, in the fear of the Lord. And then number nine, determination. Determination. If you're determined to do thing, something, you're set on doing that, aren't you? You really plan on doing that. You're determined to do that. And we ought to be determined to teach and to do right. In Second Corinthians 2 and verse 1, Paul says, I determined this within myself that I will not come again unto you in heaviness. He was talking about they had a, a sinful man in, in the congregation there, you know, and that they had accepted him into the congregation, and certainly they shouldn't have done that, but rather have that corrected. Now, later on they did. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Number 10. Is that 10? Yeah, that's 10. Number 10, illumination. Now, what does illumination mean? To illuminate means to give light. When you turn your lights on it, on your car at night, you illuminate the road, don't you? To where you can see where you're going. Okay. In Matthew 6, verse 22, he says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, then the whole body will be full of light. And then we're to, how are we to be illuminated? We're going to be illuminated by the Word, by the Gospel. It entering into our minds, you know. In Hebrews 10, verse 32, he says, Call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated. Ye endured a great flight of affliction, is what Paul says. In Psalms 119, 105, Brother Colonel 
uses this in his prayer oftentimes, and it's very good. 119, 105, he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway that will lead us from earth to heaven. And certainly that's the only thing that can lead us anywhere. He says in Psalms 119, 130, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The gospel will do that. He says in Matthew 5, verses 14, 15, and 16 there, he said, Ye are the light of the world. He says, Neither do men light a, light a candle and put it under a bushel, but rather on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Then he goes ahead to say, Let your light so shine, that they may see your, others may see your good works, and glorify the Father which is in heaven. We're to be the light of the world. We're referred to as the salt of the earth sometimes too. But sometimes we've lost our Savior, you know, Savior, S-A-V-O-U-R. And if we have, we're thenceforth good for nothing. We cast out and trod under the foot of man, the scripture tells us. So we want to be a light of the world. We want, we want to have the word into our hearts and it gives us understanding. And number 11 is donation. Now, people don't like to hear about that, you know. <laughs> Someone said you could take a drill and drill a hole down through a man's head, and he wouldn't say a word until you hit his pocketbook. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of truth in that, you know. When you start talking about money, you're getting close to a man's heart, you know. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs says. But we, there's many ways, many ways we can donate. It's not only money every time. We can donate of our time, our talent, our energy, our money, doing good to others that are in need. This is donation. He tells us here, he tells in uh, Matthew 10 and verse 8, he says, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. He's talking to his uh, apostles here. He says, freely ye have received and freely give. I believe Lester used that this morning in his Bible study lesson. Freely ye have received, freely give. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, he says, Every man according as he is purposed in his heart, so let him give. For God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, if we, uh, if we give something and it's not cheerful and we give it grudgingly and of necessity, we might as well keep our money in our pocket because we're not going to get a thing from that gift. So every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give. Not grudging and not of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. First Corinthians 16, in 1 and 2, says, Now concerning the collection for the saints as the churches of Galatia, even as I have told them, you know, the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, he said. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in the store as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come, that you won't have to make, take up a contribution. When I get there, it'll be there ready to go, see, for the needy saints and in Jerusalem. It blesses us, doesn't it? In Luke 6, verse 38, he says, Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. We can't, out, we can't outgive God, friends. There's just no way. He pours out the blessings on us, you know. Good measure, shaken together, running over. He says, for with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured unto you. Now think about that a little bit. That's a lot of truth in that. 
same measure that you meet, the way you give, it'll be given back to you the same way. In Acts 20 and verse 35, here the writer says, I have shown you all things, how that so labor you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Number 12, examination. What do you do when you examine somebody? Well, you question yourself, don't you? You know, if they put you up on the stand in the court, the lawyer, he's going to examine you pretty good, isn't he? <laughs> he's going to give you the third degree. Uh, so to examine something is to question it, to examine ourselves. We're, we're, we're to be examined by ourselves, and we're also examined by, by God Almighty. But uh, in Acts 25, 26, here he says, Of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore I have brought him forth to you. Now he's talking about Paul that he brought before. Uh, this is Festus is speaking to Agrippa. Now I have brought before you, and specifically before thee, King Agrippa, that after examination I might have somewhat to write, see. He's going to find something wrong with Paul. But in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 3 through 6, Paul here shows that people that minister by the gospel should live by the gospel. You can prove that. In uh, 9 and verse 3, he says, Mine answer to them that examine me is this. Verse 4, he says, Have we not power to eat and to drink? You know, aren't we just like a normal person? Verse 5, have we not power to lead about a sister? He's talking about the apostles. A wife or well as other apostles. And as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas. He mentions Peter specifically there. Haven't we all got the same power? See, Peter had a wife. Therefore, he couldn't much very well be a pope, could he? Because the pope's not allowed to have a wife, you know. But Peter is referred to as a pope sometimes by them that are ignorant of the scriptures. But Peter had a wife. And then in verse 6 he said, Or I only and Barnabas have we not the power to forbear working. You know, in other words, he's saying, if we preach the gospel to you, we, we shouldn't have to work physically to earn a living here. You know, Paul was a tent maker by trade. And uh, his mission was to preach to those to seek and to, Christ said, I'll come to seek and save those that are lost. And his mission was to preach the gospel. And uh, you remember that they picked out seven men of good report back the deacons and put them over the work to take care of the widows and, uh, and uh, that were being neglected in the daily administration so that they could go ahead and preach the gospel, see. And then in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, here he's talking about the Lord's Supper. And certainly we all, all have a part of that that are members of the body of Christ. He says, But let a man examine himself. There's the word, examination. Let a man examine himself, that so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Because he goes ahead to tell us if we eat and drink unworthily, that we eat and drink damnation to our soul, is what it says. So we need to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith and that we can truly partake of the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 13 and 36, 
we have an explanation of the scriptures and, and uh, the, this position. And the position, this is where Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him and they said, Declare unto us the parable of the tares. You remember the tares, the parable of the tares of the field. Well, the, the parable of the, of the tares of the field, he goes ahead to say, the field is, is the world, the good seed or the children of, of uh, the kingdom. The bad seed, the tares, are the children of the devil, verse 38 says, of the evil one. But as we quoted a while ago in the onset of the lesson in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In Titus 3 and verse 1, he says, Put them in mind to do being subjects to principalities, to powers, and to obey magistrates, and to be ready to every good work. Explanation. Number 14, the last one. Resignation. What does it mean? Resignation. This is not talking about retiring. <laughs> this is a different resignation. This is talking about dedicating to something or resolving to do something. You know, dedicating yourself to your job or to your family or most of all, dedicating yourself to the Lord. So resignate, resignation means to dedicate ourselves. But we're not to be resigned to evil. Proverbs 7.21 says, With her much fair speech she caused him to yield, and with the flattering of her lips she forced him. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, he says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. We also are to be resigned to God and to doing good. In Second Chronicles 30 and verse 8, he says, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were. You know, stiff-necked, hard-headed. <laughs> but yield yourself unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he sanctifieth forever, and serve the Lord your God. That was his advice to him. That the fierceness of his wrath, of God's wrath, may be turned away from you. There's coming a judgment day. You know, Scripture says every plant which my heavenly Father is not planted shall be rooted up. Brother Keeble used to say there's going to be a rooting day. And there's a lot of truth in that. But, you know, uh, we need to serve the Lord that the fierceness of His wrath may be turned away from Him. God is many, many things. He's a God of love. He's a God of vengeance. He's, he's a jealous God. Uh, he's a righteous God. And he's going to judge us according to the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be evil, the Bible says. So it's up to us, see. We need to re resolve to do good to, to God and to doing good. In Romans 6, 16 and 19, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants, to him ye, to obey, his servants you are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of righteousness, obedience rather, under righteousness. Now we can make a choice. We can serve sin unto death 
or obedience unto righteousness. And then he said in verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmities of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness, to iniquity, which is sin, even so yield yourself members now to righteousness and true holiness. Seven negatives. Condemnation, hallucination, discrimination, procrastination, abomination, hibernation, and imagination. Seven of the positive points. Elimination, determination, illumination, donation, explanation, examination, and resignation. Now, which nation are we members of? Somebody was to ask you, you'd say, well, I'm a member of the, uh, of the nation of the United States of America. Well, that's true. But we're talking about something even more important than that. Let's look at the first one here in the positive points. Elimination. How we do that in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, wherefore we are seeing sin, we are so compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, run the patience race set before us, looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Determined nation. We need to determine to do right. Remain faithful all of our lives. Walk that straight and narrow way that it talks about in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. That narrow way that leads to life eternal. That's where we want to be on the road to. Illumination. We need to let God's word illuminate our hearts and our lives to bring light into our lives. Donate. We need to donate of our time, our talent, and our energy and however that we can further the cause of Christ. Examination. We need to examine ourselves and compare ourselves to the Word of God. Not try to make His Word fit us, you know. Uh, but rather that our lives fit the Word of God. And then explanation, we're tell of our hope through obedience to Christ. We'll go out and to tell the news to somebody else. That they can, you know, uh, Matthew said that they could see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. And then resignation. We need to be able to resolve to make our calling and election sure. You know, in Second Peter uh, 1, beginning with verse 5 and going through about verse 10 there, he says, let us add, so that, he said, wherefore let us add to yourself, what? Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance. It says, add your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you and abound in you, they make you that you neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if any man like these things, it says he, he is blind and cannot see afar off, for he hath gotten, forgotten that he hath been purged or cleansed from his old sins. He says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, Peter says, make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. That's what he says. So, what nation are we a member of? Don't we want to be a part of that nation that Peter talked about in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9? Where he says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
What nation are we a member of and what nation do we desire to be a member of? Have we obeyed the gospel or do we need to take advantage of the second law of pardon, you know? Do we need the prayers of the church or, or do we need to obey the gospel? Friends, the Lord's invitation is always extending. And he says that to come unto me all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you need to respond to the gospel, you can do so while we stand and sing. <laughs>